can live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios in the situation. Think about who the Padres are and the swagger that they have. If it's Tatis who hits that home run, oh. I mean, they they probably oh. would have stopped the game. This is the press box. Brought out a full mariachi yes. and had like a party on the field. Yeah. Ed Rainey and Adam Candy. For the that. fat toss would still be in the air. The, uh, absolutely. It would still be in the air. Uh, like Manny Machado would have would have gone out to the mound, pulled his pants yes. down, taken a dump on the mound, and said, you pitch through this for the rest of the day. On ESPN Las Vegas. Bubble butts and dumps. That's what you get on the press box. ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. It's Ed and Danny in the studio. Tyler off for the day. So we're joined by the one and only Adam Candy. How are you, buddy? Oh, no. Here we go. Here we go. Adam Candy. Well, we had him for like a second, right? We had him for a second. All right. Well, Adam Candy is going to join us in a second. We're going to try to hook back up with him. Again, Tyler off for the day. Let's see if we can hook up with them. But first, let's get to the first bite. The first bite. Who should the Raiders draft in the first round? Not a linebacker. Uh, Mel Kuyper has the Raiders actually selecting Georgia linebacker Nicobe Dean uh, with the 22nd overall pick. The Raiders have a new regime under Josh McDaniels, Kuyper writes, and general manager Dave Ziegler. They have a clear void in the middle of their defense. If Dean is available at number 22, this is a no-brainer. I don't know why it's a no-brainer. Uh, Raiders have needs, I think, starting with the corner, cornerback. Um, I think they have needs at the defensive line. They're going to have three interior defensive linemen who are potential free free agents, along with cornerback Casey Hayward. Uh, I don't know if the linebacker position is of need right now to the point where they would take a linebacker in the first round uh, at number 22. PFF ranks Denzel Perryman, although I think they're going to lose him as 26. K.J. Wright, 23rd. Divine Diablo, 36. Plus they have Littleton, Nick Kwiatkowski, and who are usable. Excuse me, I think Corey Littleton might be gone in free agency. Denzel Perryman won't be. So those are obviously the star players in terms of who the Raiders are. None of them are star players, I think, throughout the league. Uh, if you believe, Danny, if you believe N'Kobe Dean is going to be a star, do you go for it at linebacker or do you stay and get a corner, I think a defensive lineman, someone like that? I just don't think linebacker right now might be their, you know, their best option. No, I don't think so. I think I think you go somewhere else. I Yeah, I mean, you guys were talking about the other day how the Raiders have no down linemen other than um, their their ends, so you got to replace who you're losing. Uh, I think actually, I think um, you know we've seen some of these call. We've seen some of these times at the uh, uh, combine. They're running out of their minds right now. Uh, I think Chris Ole Olave from Ohio State ran a two point one. Was that it? Oh no, it's four point two. Uh, I go for a number one wide receiver. They need speed. We know what happened with Kevin, or excuse me, Henry Ruggs. You've got a lot of guys at wide receiver right now. Drake London from USC, Garrett Wilson from Ohio State, Traylon Brooks from Arkansas, Chris Ole from Ohio State, Jahan Dotson from Penn State, Jamison Williams from Bama. Why aren't they talking about drafting a wide receiver number one overall? Uh, I don't know. In their pick, number 22. Do they think that the Raiders are just comfortable with what they have in um, what they have in their tight ends and Edwards. Maybe he can start getting reps and get better. Yeah, there's a guy who really needs to get better. Do we have Adam Candy? 
You there, buddy? Can't hear him. Are you there? I'm here. All right, there you go. Internet problems? It's probably on our end, actually. You know what? I'm going to tell you, this is one of those ghost in the system moments that uh, really makes you appreciate what you have when, when you have it. You're darn right. uh, yeah, we're talking we're talking Raiders positional value, right? We're uh, talking the positional yeah. value, and yeah. I, I know Kuiper said at 22, um, if if uh, uh, Georgia linebacker Nicobe Dean is available, they take him. I'm of the opinion that corner is more important. You know, they have three down linemen who are free potential free agents. So is Casey Hayward. So we don't, we don't know what they're going to do in free agency yet. Ziggler's played it close to the vest at the, uh, the combine as, uh, as McDaniels did. I want to get your thoughts here though. Defensively McDaniel said, well, it doesn't matter if it's a three, four, four, three. Well, yeah, it does. Um, they're really not giving a lot at the combine. They're talking a lot and saying nothing. So uh, you put yourself in the GM room. You know what they lack defensively. Where would you go first? Well, to address the idea of 3-4 versus 4-3 not mattering, it absolutely does because I've never seen Max Crosby or Yannick Ngakwe as a stand-up rusher in this scheme, right? right? I, like, it's a, there's a whole set of questions that has to be asked about that in terms of how Patrick Graham is going to incorporate them versus what we saw happen under Gus Bradley's system. So that being said, should they be drafting a linebacker? Ed, you would expect nothing less from me than to have analytics numbers to back up what I'm about to tell Absolutely. you. Absolutely. So, is this a pre-Candy's Chonies? Uh, pre-Candy's Chonies, because I don't want to screw... Like, you would have no chance at all of guessing these numbers, and so I don't <laughs> exactly. want to make it impossible for you. I never can guess uh, your numbers. There. What are you talking no, about? Listen, listen, you you don't see into my briefs very well, and so no, I understand no, that. No. I appreciate. I can appreciate that about you. So <laughs> when, I'm an idiot. Go ahead. <laughs> Pro Football Focus. Pro Football Focus did this study... Uh, prior to last year's draft and looked and said, if we use a wins above replacement metric, a war metric, you know, wars for baseball. Sure. Um, and if we talk about wins above replacement and then adjust them for the pros, here's what they found. No surprise that quarterback is the most important position, but we're not talking about that this year. The next five positions in order of how pro football focus ranked them in terms of uh, wins above replacement adjusted for the NFL Cornerback, wide receiver, running back, huh? Safety, linebacker, right, and then edge rusher. Okay. So, most importantly, what are the two next important positions? Cornerback and wide receiver. And if you look at this Raiders roster, what do they need? Cornerbacks and wide, and receivers. wide receivers, right? So, using a selection on a linebacker in the first round would make no sense for this team. And the best case you can make for that is Denzel Perryman. You went and took a guy off the scrap heap a guy who had basically flamed out as a free agent signing and brought him over here in training camp. And he became a Pro Bowl linebacker for you. It just goes to show you can find value at that position without using a first-round pick on it when this team has much bigger needs. Do you like Chris Olivade? Now, he ran like a 4-2-something, so that he's probably off the board. I want to ask you this about 40 times, and I had guys. I, I literally have guys. Now, they're get-off-your-lawn guys back home. But there, I have uh, friends who truly believe they don't believe these times. They go back in the day. One of the people they use, uh, weirdly so, is O.J. Simpson. And they said at his height at, at – um, at SC, he never ran more than a 4-4. Now, I know technology. I know bodies. I know diet. I know everything's kind of improved. When you see 4-2-whatever at these combines, do you raise your eyes? Do you say, okay, that's that's legitimate in 2022? Is this something you ever kind of take pause of? Because Olabe last night, I think he was 4-2-3. 
And that, Adam Hill tw- tweeted out, hey, if you're a Raiders fan, you were thinking of him at 22. You just lost him because if he's running like that, he's going to go before that. Or do you buy these times and say, you know what? It's 2022. They're different. It's not, you know, back in the day. Their bodies, their diet, everything's different. Do you buy it? So just one little note on that. They ended up coming out later at night and basically adjusting everybody's times up. And so Olave got adjusted to like a 4-3-8, which was oh, a little more yeah, a little more, more expected, yes, right? Like that's yes. a little bit more what we expected yes. for uh for the wideout from Ohio State. So maybe back in play. Do I care about 40 times? Uh as much as I care about Darius Hayward Bay, you know, like like <laughs> these are the guys who have put up the 40 times without ever really having success as much as I care about John Ross. Like th- these are guys who have put up these enormous times and never produced anything. Now, Henry Ruggs, before everything went sideways there, had put up an enormously uh, great combine time in the 40. But the thing is, guys don't run in straight lines in the NFL very often. And when it comes to what the Raiders ultimately need, yeah, they need a deep threat, but they also need someone who can be physical at the catch point. They also need someone who can essentially go up and moss a defender. So, you know, no, I'm not really all that focused on 40 times as a singular metric. Now, if a guy you think is going to be your speed threat runs a 4-6, yeah, that's a bit of a problem. But when we're separating guys by hundredths of a second, no, it's not really that big an issue. And as for OJ, I don't know, Ed, he proved to be quite elusive in the end. There you go. He did on, on many occasions. Well, he was caught from behind once, at least. So uh, uh, he, <laughs> Once. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, that that is true. Okay, so there's also there's also the argument, and you, you, better, pick the, you, you better pick the right one here. They're not going to have some of these in terms of where they are in the draft, whether it's London, Wilson, Burks, Olave, Dotson, those kind of guys. But there's also the argument that if, if Devontae Adams is even available, and I don't think he's going to be, It'd be much cheaper to try to find like the next Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. But again, you better really do your homework. You better really do your evaluation in terms of who that would be. Because if you miss, and I'm not saying in any way it's going to end up a rug situation, but if you miss football-wise, and I thought he was improving, uh, it, it could come back and bite you. Again, I don't know if you read the comments from McDaniels and, and Ziggler. And I'm, I'm look, I'm not so sure they should take you know tell us much anyway right now. They probably shouldn't. But do you have faith? hearing what you've heard so far that they can make the right decision or have we just not heard enough from these guys and we don't really know much about them especially Dave Ziegler who for the first time now will be a full-time GM and not have Belichick you know either making the decisions or looking over his shoulder well and I think you can kind of go back to something else McDaniel said about why he took the job and extrapolate from there to figure out what you think about the plan for what's coming up this year uh, McDaniels talked about how what really sold him was the vision of Mark Davis and that they were going to be aligned on how to build a football team. And so my question is, what is Mark Davis' vision for how you build a football team? Because the only evidence we have of that is he went after John Gruden. He gave John Gruden full control. He and Mike Mayock ran the drafts. And for the most part, they were not successful for the Raiders. So is Josh McDaniels, is Dave Ziegler coming in here with a vision similar to what John Gruden and Mike Mayock had? Probably not. We saw the Raiders go against the grain pretty often when it came to making draft selections under Gruden and Mayock. So no, I'm not ready to to pass any judgment on the comments that we're seeing out of McDaniels and Ziegler right now because they have every reason to play it close to the vest. And because as you've talked about, we don't know how to separate out 
the Patriot way right, from right. Ziegler and McDaniels individually. So I don't know. Do you? What do you think about what you've heard thus far? Is it just the I usual well, posturing? It's it's funny because they did a transcript of McDaniels the day, the other day from the combine. It was five pages long, which usually coaches' transcripts and the Raiders are you know about two pages long, and then they stop the questions. I read all five pages, and I don't know what he said. And again, I'm not going to rip him for that. He's a brand new coach. It's the first time he was meeting local media. He's going to be cautious. But I hope in the future, it gave me a sense of it is the Patriot way. And I hope in the future he opens up more. Now, I don't think Belichick's ever talked five pages in his life and probably his entire career. And maybe we'll hear more as we go on. But again, I didn't hear much uh, if you're asking that there were specifics. You know, Derek Carr contract extension. Well, we have to get to know each other. Josh Jacobs, are you going to pick up his fifth-year option? Well, I'm really looking forward to coaching, Josh. And maybe these decisions aren't haven't been made yet, although I can't believe they haven't even thought of both of them. But at this point, I haven't heard enough to believe anything at this point in terms of how they will draft or what they want to draft. No, and I don't know that they want us to have that information or, yet. I don't and, know if we should. Yeah, and, and you know what? That's okay. I mean, that's that's why they're in Indianapolis right now is to take everything they saw on film over the last couple of years on these guys and put it against the measurables and figure out, you know, do we see in the combine what we've seen on film for these guys in the past? And and if you're the Raiders, if you're in the position of McDaniels and Ziegler right now, I actually think the fact that this roster needs so much help is a good thing because you can't look at it and say, well, you know what? The one thing we need, we're not the Bengals. The one thing we need is offensive line, right? No. I mean, yes, it's offensive line. You could use a wide receiver. You could use a cornerback. It, it, I think it will help them resist the temptation to just say, well, we need to plug a hole, right? We need to, at number 22 in the first round, we need to just do what we did last year. We knew we needed a right tackle. Tom Cable fell in love with Alex Leatherwood. We go and get Alex Leatherwood. And it didn't work out. So now you have a roster where if you truly are thinking best player available, I don't think you can go wrong. There are so many positions that this roster needs. The best player available probably is going to fill a need. Great stuff there. We're off and running. It's Ed, Adam, and Danny. When we come back, can VGK beat anyone good? It's the Press Box on ESPN 1100 and 100.9 FM. Yeah, I, I think there's always solutions and things you can do better, and I, I do think it's execution. I mean, you know, they get a guy tonight scores three that you know had scored three the whole year up till t- till now. You know, we've got we got some guys in some extended slumps there. Um, when you've got Patrick and Stone out of the lineup, uh, you know you can't have multiple guys going double digit games without chipping in a goal. I mean, that's the difference in a game like that too. Two uh, pretty even teams, pretty tightly contested game. There's not a lot going on there. I mean, the the second goal is a tough one. It should have been. I thought it should have been a penalty on McNabb, you know. And they they score to go up two one, so or two nothing. So or the one that was that that was the one nothing goal um, at the end of the first. But I thought in the second we recovered and played pretty good period. We we had some good looks, you know. When uh, you've got to stick it in the net, you got to give their goalie some credit. But we we've got to get some scoring and you know we were the benefit of some depth scoring early in the season that won us games and tonight we were on the wrong end of that their their depth scoring won them the game there he is pete DeBoer, head coach of the golden knights five two losers to boston craig smith with a hat trick uh for boston um can they beat anyone good right now 
the results we've seen, Ed, uh, suggest that that's a problem. Um, you know, they're going to have the benefit down the stretch of playing less than half of their remaining games against current playoff teams. So that's a good thing. Um, but right now what we've seen is they've played the Avalanche and they've played Boston, both teams statistically much better than them over the second half of the season. And look, they were competitive against the Avalanche the last two periods uh, against Boston. Those were not competitive periods last night. Uh, Boston dominated that game uh, probably even more than the final score shows. So you know, right now, I think what jumped out to me was I was doing the uh, the afternoon radio show yesterday. So I watched the game on TV and Mark Messier was on the broadcast for yes. ESPN and said that the Golden Knights are trying to activate their defensemen. We've heard that term from Pete DeVore uh, repeatedly. And uh, they're not making tape-to-tape -tape passes. They're making turnovers, and it's coming right back on them. And the first goal was the example, Ed, that, that really jumps out to me because it wasn't Alex Petrangelo trying to activate. It was Ben Hutton. Yes, yes. And so if Ben Hutton is trying to activate, I think the Golden Knights are going to have problems. You don't want to blame it on the injuries. They said last night, the players and DeBoer, you can't blame it all on the injuries. But we also have to be honest. If Ben Hutton's trying to activate, you got a problem. You got a major problem. 19 goals in nine games since the break, 3-5-1. and one. Uh, Here's the major, major problem, and DeBoer talked about it last night. Two for 33 in the power place and scoring twice against Montreal on January 20th. I don't know what you think. I think they stand around too much. I think they're not aggressive enough in shooting the puck. Uh, it's almost like they want to be too cute. They... They, you know, there's a lot of passing on the power play, but when you have a lot of passing and not a lot of movement, it doesn't help you very much. Uh, but they've got to. We're one and done in the Ozone. We can't create momentum shift after shift. I don't know exactly what it is, said Jack Eichel. Uh, he had uh, he had their first goal, somewhat of a fortunate one. Actually, he even said that during the break when he had the breakaway. But when you watch this power play, 2 of 33, and we they had the power play problems last year, too, and they haven't been able to fix this. And I know they're missing, you know, they're missing the one-timer patch ready and all of that. They're missing stone. I get that. But why do you think this is so bad? What is happening with this power play, and can it be fixed just with the simple reasoning of, well, they'll just bring better players back off the IR? It can be helped. It absolutely can be helped by having those players because right now, Jack Eichel is not really fully integrated into this team yet, right? And so you watch him on the power play, and you can see the individual skill. You can see Jack Eichel operating from that Ovechkin area over uh, on the left circle, and he's looking for places to pass. It's just not there. And Jack Eichel said after the game, there's not a lot of mystery. Teams are packing it in against us. So, Ed, here, here I go. Here I go into the analytics world again. I'm going into the heat maps. You ready for the heat maps? Love the heat maps. Love the heat maps. The heat maps from that game last night. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, essentially, imagine we have a picture of the ice and the heat maps show where do the shots come from and where the shots against come from. And for the Golden Knights, all the shots came from the sides of the net. They weren't getting anything in the middle. So Jack Eichel talks about how it's getting packed in against them in the middle. Teams are basically saying, you're not going to make cross-ice passes. You're going to have to try to make this happen individually. And the Golden Knights haven't been able to do that. Ed, you mentioned last year they had the problems in the playoffs. Um, I'm not going to get too excited about the small sample here, but the way Pete DeBoer put it is essentially what we have to look at with this team. The misfit line, Jack Eichel, Alex Petrangelo, someone has to step up. Someone has to step forward. They can't get in these long goal droughts, whether it's even strength or on the power play. Jonathan Marshall had his thoughts. 
I mean, yeah, we're playing kind of like two games every week there as we try to get some mojo, but I mean, at some point, like, there's no excuses for it. Like, enough is enough. Like, we can blame it as much as we want on every little thing, injuries or whatever, it doesn't matter. Guys in the lineup, we all have to step up. Good teams find a way to win. We're not doing that. Well, exactly right in terms of the injuries. I, and, and look, they've all said it. I think they've said the right things. I talked to Riley Smith last week uh, about it uh, extensively, about nobody cares about injuries. Nobody cares about who, who's on your IR. Uh, they do bring it up, you know, in terms of the names missing. But, Adam, depth scoring and other people stepping up, this has to happen for them to get back in this in terms of, you know, solidifying a playoff spot. Uh, Dave Shane did a nice article, and Dave's going to join us at 830 yesterday, on it's not even about positioning now. It's just about making the playoffs. And everyone knows they're hurt. They've had an enormous amount of injuries. Now, I believe it's McNabb who is having chest x-rays or upper body x-rays, so we don't know what's going to happen to him. It has been ridiculous about how many injuries they've had. But I'll go back to the premise of professional sports. Nobody cares. They've got to have some other people step up here. Jonathan Marshall is always a great quote, right? And and, and Jonathan Marshall, uh, he channeled his inner John Gruden for that one. Uh, he gave you all of the excuses, but then said, we don't have any excuses, right? Like said, well, we can't really get any mojo going playing two games a week. And there's the injuries. But we can't blame it on the excuses. Like, yeah, okay, well, those were all the excuses, right? Like, we don't play enough games to get consistent, and we're really hurt. So, yeah, I mean, look, you look at the advanced metrics for this team right now. Over the last 10 games, the Corsi 4, the expected goals for they're middle of the pack in the NHL, which against the bottom teams will get the job done, but not against Colorado and not against Boston. And that's really the problem right now for the Golden Knights. So, you know, the other side you could look at here ed is can the goaltending step forward to save them for a while because when you get in this kind of rut you're going to eventually ask your goaltender to bail you out that's what the 2017 golden knights did right they would play this aggressive style and they would give up odd man rushes and they would say to mark andre Fleury, hey do me a favor play to kembe matumbo back there and just guard the rim clean everything up for us and right now the golden knights goaltending hasn't been able to do that because the counter punches against them are leading to scores yeah I thought Leonard, I, I've got to be honest, he gave a, you know, they get four because one's the empty netter. I don't put last night on him. No, I don't think he necessarily can. But I think Robin Leonard last night played an average overall. I mm-hmm. thought he played average to above average, which with the full lineup for this team will be fine. But right now, you're asking someone on this roster to pull a little bit of magic out. And I know that that's anti all the analytics numbers that I talk about all the time. Show me some magic. Well, who has that next gear that they can kick it into for this team right now? You hope it's Jack Eichel, but Jack Eichel is just back from a major surgery. And now you talk about the McNabb injury as well. And I, I don't know what you think about this, but I think Braden McNabb is one of the most valuable players mm-hmm. on this roster. So. Yeah. I, every time, like, and tell me what you think about this. Every time I see a big hit in a Golden Knights game delivered by the Golden Knights, if I were kind of like a little distracted or writing something at the time, or I see the hit and I just look up and I expect it to be McNabb. I expect him to be the one delivering the pain. And they don't have many hits. And he's usually the one doing the hitting. Uh Uh-oh. Are you saying they need Ryan Reeves back? Boy, the boy, don't do that. The media would go crazy in this town. Can you imagine? Oh, can you imagine my the, God. Can you imagine the press box if that happened? The real can press I, box, oh not this press God. box? 
Oh, call, man. call Gerard Gallant. <laughs> Send Ryan Reeves back. We need hits. Let's get it done. When we come back, back to football, pro football focus. It's Ben Brown here on the Press Box. It's the Press Box on ESPN 1100 and 100.9 FM. Stay with us. we got some great giveaways coming up. Mountain West Conference semifinal tournament tickets. NASCAR, it's this weekend. The uh, Penzo 400 and Pac-12 tournament tickets. So stay with us. We'll start giving away those this morning. Please be joined now, though. It's Ben Brown from Pro Football Focus. Hi, Ben. How are you? I'm doing well, guys. How are you doing? Good, good. All right, before we get to the uh, combine and people running 385s or whatever we're hearing out there in terms of how fast they are, uh, media met with um, Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler this week. They said a lot but said nothing. Right now, is it more and more in your mind, if you're them and you want to get to know Derek Carr, there is a sense out there that, yes, you can extend them, but you can also say, you know what, we're going to have you playing that one year. We're going to have you play for $19.5 million. They keep saying, we got to get to know this guy. we got to get to know this guy. They've had like 20 dinners probably with him, and they don't know him yet. So do you really think there's a sense that they could do that? And what do you think the response from Derek Carr should be? I, mean, I do think like, they need to, when they say they want to get to know him, I think they need to see him on the football field making some of these throws, some of these calls in their particular offensive team and system. So, I think that absolutely has to happen. Obviously, some OTAs and things like that could answer some of that question. But I think a one-year, uh, not necessarily prove it type of deal, but maybe like a one-year feeler type of deal makes a lot of sense from both uh, from both perspectives. That gives you know Derek Carr some optionality to potentially test the market if he does perform, uh, kind of like he did in 2021. I do think he'll be a hot commodity in the free agent market uh, on a veteran type deal. So I think a one-year type of uh, situation, let him play it out makes a lot more sense than probably trying to extend them out a few years here, and I do think that's probably what we're going to end up seeing play it out from uh, the Raiders' perspective here in 2022. Um, ben, it feels like that would be a high-stakes game of chicken from the Raiders' perspective because if Kirk Cousins can get a Kirk Cousins deal from the Minnesota Vikings, it feels like Derek Carr can get maybe that and a little bit more, even being a little bit when he comes to market so you know what do you think a realistic expectation for a Derek Carr contract uh, would look like in free agency yeah I mean I don't think we're going to see him get uh Kirk Cousins type of money I do think that it wasn't necessarily an anomaly the Kirk Cousins contract but uh it reset the market where there was one particular team that was fully bought into uh uh Kirk Cousins and maybe was only kind of kind of almost bidding against himself. I think the New York Jets were maybe a little bit involved uh, in that particular equation. But uh, I don't think we've seen Derek Carr, at least in league circles and those sorts of things, really have maybe the same appeal as Kirk Cousins, even though I think he's probably a slightly better quarterback, uh, give or take, you know, uh, you know, certain situations throughout the game. But I do think Derek Carr is probably better. But I don't think he's going to get a Kirk Cousins type of money in that situation. So I think closer to... You know, twenty-eight, thirty million type of deal. Uh, it's going to be interesting because we do have a lot of quarterback contract extensions and negotiations happening, where we see a little bit of reset, resetting of the marketplace. But uh, I think in order to kind of really hit close to Kirk Cousins type of money, we're going to have to see the salary cap increase. Uh, so, you know, pretty dramatically heading into the twenty twenty-three season. So I don't fully expect that to happen. So I do think it's going to be probably lesser money for Derek Carr than what people are probably projecting and comparing to Kirk Cousins from my perspective. Uh, Josh Jacobs, Clee Farrell, and John Abram. I personally would not give any of them the fifth-year option. Would you give any of those guys a fifth-year option? I don't think so either. I mean, you know, they've already they already you know signaled something with you know bringing Kenyon Drake in as well. So I don't really buy into you know Josh Jacobs being a workhorse type of running back. So 
I don't think they should extend any of those three players. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how they actually break that down. I think, you know, uh, given their position in the NFL draft coming up here, uh, they could potentially make some noise on the offensive side of football. I think they absolutely have to get some skill position players around Derek Carr to really have a successful, you know, Josh McDaniels-led offensive scheme here in 2022. Well, that leads right into talking a little bit more about the draft. And obviously we have the combine this week where uh, the Raiders are trying to restock a roster that has a lot of positions of need. And Ben, I was recalling from an article at PFF.com last year where you guys used uh, war and then position adjusted to talk about the most valuable positions in the draft overall speaking from a perspective beyond the Raiders what are the most valuable positions in the draft and how could that affect how the Raiders do things yeah definitely I do think it's quarterback uh you know basically obviously is valuable throughout the whole thing but you know if you have a guy like Derek Carr then I do think gravitating more towards the wide receiver position and hitting on some of these guys that we've seen you know kind of take the league by storm the last couple of seasons we've seen that be you know really solid you know, process and that, you know, it's played out really well from a draft perspective because these wide receiver classes have been so deep. The 2020, you know, the class that we have coming up here uh, in the 2022 draft uh, seems to have, you know, similar components. We saw them work out yesterday at the NFL Combine. I do think that uh, outside of like Traylon Burks, basically everybody probably at least lived up to uh, the hype, I would say, in a lot of situations and some greatly exceeded it. So I definitely think it's a deep wide receiver class and I think that fits in, you know, really well with what the Las Vegas Raiders absolutely need to hit on here in the first and second round of the 2022 draft. So I'd like them to go wide receiver here. I do think that there's going to be a number of options uh, and, and, and a lot of really solid fits for that Josh McDaniel offensive scheme. We were talking earlier, they adjusted last night. Do you ever, ever raise your eyes at the 40 times? I mean, I think it's, I think I'd look more toward the guys that ran maybe poor than I would a guy that's an absolute blazer, like, you know, Tyquan Thornton, who, you know, is basically just, you know, a track superstar out there. And I don't know if he has, he's obviously going to get drafted really highly, or not necessarily really highly, but he's going to get drafted. And I do think that maybe, you know, taking that with a grain of salt, given the fact that he just did run, you know, only a fast 40 time and probably doesn't have a lot of the other tangible skills that, you know, make wide receivers successful. I do think it's an overvalued metric. Uh, in general, but I do think, you know, guys that tested really well, uh, that came out and hit, you know, the height and weight requirements that also did really well in like three cone drill and the 40 yard dash time are guys that are really appealing to me. I think a guy like Christian Watson is somebody who, you know, dramatically jumps out 6'4, 6'5, sub 4, 440. I think seeing him as, you know, the complete package coming out of North Dakota State University, I think he was probably under the radar here before the NFL combine. Uh, but I do think that he's a guy that's probably going to land in the top two rounds of the NFL draft and improve his you know, stock dramatically in the combine. I think that's the guys uh, that it makes a lot more sense uh, to you know, focus on than the guys that are probably just going to garner you know, some of the headlines over the next couple of days and then potentially not necessarily be forgotten about, but uh, you know, didn't do anything outside of running a fast 40-yard dash time. So I like a guy like Christian Watson. I do think he's probably going to be you know, the main winner from the wide receiver class uh, coming out of the combine from my perspective. Ben Brown from Pro Football Focus joining us here on the Press Box, uh, one of the hosts of the PFF betting podcasts. And, of course, Ben, I don't get a chance to talk to you in the offseason as much, so i, I got to get into a little bit of draft <laughs> betting talk uh, here with you. Um, in Nevada, the only markets we're really seeing so far, and they're from very few operators, are for first overall pick and first quarterback selected. Is there any value left in either of those markets now? 
No, not a ton. I know, you know, uh, we talked about him earlier, but my boss, Eric Eager, wrote, you know, an early article on Evan Neal to be the first overall selection when he was basically at, you know, like plus 1,500 or even further out of that. He's moved to a minus price. I do think he's going to be, uh, you know, pretty safe to the number one overall selection by the time the NFL draft gets to, uh, you know, that April time frame. So I could see him pushing out all the way to like minus 500. So if you absolutely want to jump on board, you know, a slightly minus 115, minus 120 price on him. I think it does make some sense from a closing line value perspective, but uh, it's not a spot that I'm locking in just with the earlier value I have on him. But I do think Malik Willis still has, uh, you know, some value as the first quarterback off the board. I, you know, his numbers obviously increased dramatically, but I think coming out of the NFL combine, he's probably got to be uh, the biggest winner. Looks like he can basically make every throw on the football field really high athletic profile as well. So I'd like him to be the first quarterback off the board. I know other people like Desmond Ritter who also tested really well at the NFL Combine. His number basically moved from you know plus 4,000 down to plus 2,500. He might be worth a little bit uh, of a sprinkle uh, as well to be that first quarterback off the board. But but I'm with you, Adam. Uh, this is definitely probably my favorite market. I've always kind of been, you know, heavily invested in the NFL draft, even from, you know, a young age. I would always watch basically all seven rounds on Saturday. A little disappointing that they switched the format in a little bit, but it's definitely something that I'd probably uh, try and make it out to Las Vegas for here uh, at the end of April. So uh, definitely looking forward to all the books posting some numerous crop opportunities for us here for the NFL draft. How much does hand size really mean? This pick, this poor picket kid. I mean, the poor picket. The yeah. poor picket. I mean, and, and then you watch these guys throw the ball. You see his numbers in college. I don't know if that translates or what that means to you, but when you see these things, it's like the 40 times. Raise the eyebrows, really make a difference? Yeah, I mean, I think from the perspective of is Kenny Pickett going to be successful or not at the NFL level, that's obviously a very open ended question. There's going to be numerous reasons for why he is successful or, or fails at the NFL level, and I don't think that hand size. Uh, is going to be a determining role in either side of the equation for where he, where he actually finds where he actually falls uh, in that particular outcome. So I, I mean, we've seen that it matters just a little bit, but uh, you know, the talk ad nauseum basically about uh, his his hand size, I think, is definitely overstating it, uh, and it's probably going to ding his draft stock way more than what it actually should. So uh, does it matter? Maybe a very slightly little bit, but it does it doesn't even come close to mattering as much as people are going to talk about it or probably ding him for it. So uh, it's unfortunate. I do still think he's definitely a viable player, but not necessarily, you know, the quarterback one in this particular draft class. But I would have said that, you know, knowing or not knowing his hand size here from yesterday as well. Well, he is Ben Brown from Pro Football Focus. Does an incredible job here for us each week. Ben, we thank you for the time. Yep, thanks, guys. Have a great show. Take care of yourself. All right, we have tickets now to the Mountain West Conference Tournament, two tickets to the men's semifinals. If you've ever been to the Mountain West Conference Tournament, you want to be there on Friday night. The semis are usually hopping. So call now. We're going to take caller number 5 at 702-364-1100. If you want to go to the Mountain West Conference Basketball Tournament semis, maybe the Rebels are in it. You never know. they got to get out of that 4-5 game. But give us a call now. Call number 5, 702-364-1100. Get your tickets to the Mountain West Conference. It's the Press Box on ESPN 1100 and 100.9 FM. Congratulations to Brandon. He won two tickets to the Mountain West Conference semifinals. Coming up, we're going to have two tickets to the Pennzoil 400 uh, on Sunday, the NASCAR race, and uh, also uh, the Pac-12. We're going to have four tickets to the uh, Session 1 out there uh, next week at noon at T-Mobile. So coming up, NASCAR tickets and the Pac-12. Good job, Brandon. 
You and I have not talked. Bring coming back with uh, Adam Candy. You guys, you and I have not talked about the MLB lockout. So I definitely want to get your thoughts here. I've always thought I've got to. I've got to be honest with you. I think it's gone longer than I thought it would because I always assume and sadly so that the players will fold. Uh, they'll start uh, either missing checks or getting in their mind the idea of missing checks. And we know the other side can hold out longer than that. Impressed with the players so far in terms of not relenting and, and saying all the right things about this is about the next generation. This is about kids coming up. We have to stand there for them. And how long do you think this happens? It happens as long as the owners want it to happen. I mm-hmm. mean, I can be impressed by the players and their resolve all I want. And in the end, it doesn't amount to a hill of beans because this is about Rob Manfred and the owners. This is about greed, pure and simple. That's it. There's nothing more to it. You have a thriving, healthy game of baseball, and you have the worst commissioner in professional sports and a group of owners trying to bleed every dollar out of baseball, making this an impossible situation. I love that the players have unified to use their social media to be able to get their message out there. I love what they did today. The players got together and did a million-dollar fund for workers who are being affected by this lockout. So... Make one thing clear as long as we talk about this. Don't call it a strike. Don't say, well, both sides need to come together. This is all about the owners and their greed. So, yeah, Ed, I am impressed by the players, but I just don't know what it ultimately means to the situation. Rob Manfred, overall, you I agree with you, worst commissioner in sports. Where does this guy, do you think, rank historically? I mean, to hear him on a day, the other day when he said, the resources have been a problem for five years. Did he have a pandemic you and I didn't know about? It, it, when he said, <laughs> I mean, he said because of the pandemic, it's like, boy, in the pand- look, it seems like it's been 50 years with the pandemic. But when he said that, that's, the, that's how preposterous this has become. When Rob Manfred stands in front of cameras, and we know they make money anyway. Now, it's kind of like a corporation. Well, we have to fire 10 people because we didn't make enough. No, you didn't make enough in the last quarter that you projected. You still made money. That's how these owners are. They still making money. Look, look at Derek Jeter on the, on the, the return of a refund he gets on, on just being around the Marlins for a few years. You know, his return on investment. So when Rob Manfred stands in front of there and says something so preposterous, I wonder where he really ranks historically in the among the worst commissioners. Or... Again, how much are we putting on Rob Manfred and he's just the mouthpiece for the suits in the room? Every commissioner in sports is the mouthpiece for the suits in the room. And some just happen to do a better job than others. It's not like Adam Silver in the NBA is the commissioner of a group of benevolent millionaires. They are businessmen the same way that the businessmen in baseball are running their sport. But Adam Silver doesn't allow them to run it into the ground the way baseball is doing right now. So where does Rob Manford rank historically? I guess we're going to find out by how long this lockout goes on. Because it seems like from all the reporting, there's not a lot of confidence we're going to have Major League Baseball until May. And that's still bad. Don't get me wrong. That is still terrible if they kill a month of games. But, Ed, you just said we as baseball fans like to sit here and say, well, we hope it'll come back around because we are all Stockholm Syndrome guys who love baseball and love our captors, right? Like, we're going to keep coming back. You and I know. That's the thing. You and I know we're going to keep coming back. We're lifers for this. But Major League Baseball is killing off the next generation of fans. Right now, they're taking a bunch of casuals in their 20s and 30s who might kind of care come summertime and giving them no products. Right now, this is when baseball was supposed to be using the opportunity of sports betting 
to get new people interested, mm -hmm. to use sports betting to say, hey, come bet on the first five innings of the game. Come bet inning by inning. Come bet at bat by at bat. We can't bet on a product that's not there. So where is Major League Baseball getting this idea from of needing to bleed the players dry? I mean, look, at Ed, let me ask you a question as a Southern California guy. Why are we seeing from Evan Dralick from The Athletic reporting saying that four owners voted against even the meager proposal that MLB put up? And one of them is Artie Moreno from, this, <laughs> from the Angels, the Los Angeles of Anaheim of Los Angeles Angels. Artie Moreno is the worst owner in baseball yeah. because he's going to take Mike Trout and kill him in front of us. He is going to sacrifice him on an altar for the collective bargaining of Major League Baseball. And it's horrifying to me. I mean, what do you think of this guy? It's unbelievable. Lord, look, when you hear, we and Tyler said this the other day, we had a quote from Mike Trout. When Mike Trout starts speaking out, it's bad. Mike Trout doesn't say anything. Now, he talks to the media. I shouldn't say that. And he's, you know, uh, arguably the best player in baseball. But he doesn't say anything. The other day, when he came out and took a stand, that's all you need to know about Artie Moreno, and that's all you need to know about these owners. When someone like that starts talking, it, 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 you really know how bad it is at, at the level of what this lockout uh, has defined. Um, you know, I, I'll tell you a funny story. It's not really funny, but you said that, and I completely agree with you in terms of we'll come back. Uh, the attendance dropped when games are canceled historically. 1972 went down 3.7%, 81, 6.8%, 90, 20% in 85. Attendance went down after games being canceled. When I was a columnist in uh, San Diego, and there was, uh, I think it was a lockout. Um, uh, it was the 95 one. I wrote a column saying I'm never going back. Two games in, I was back throwing remotes at the Dodgers. <laughs> I, I just, I, 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 one guy wrote a column saying, I'm going to be back the first game. I'm right at calm. No, to hell with those guys. I'm not coming back at two days in. Uh, I, I was throwing the remote. So I agree with you. We're baseball lifers, but you know, even my son, even my son in his low twenties who tried to like it, something like this, it, it, out of sight, out of mind, man, you're exactly right. And you and I are closer to the grave than we are to the cradle. <laughs> and eventually, Major League Baseball needs some new fans. I'm telling you, Adam, I, I will go back. Tyler bought me that uh, uh, remote, you know, the uh, plastic one. I'll be throwing that against the TV every time Bellinger strikes out and uh, every time Walker Bueller walks somebody.